Welcome to the Kevin and Fred Show. I am your host, Kevin Kaufman, and along with my business partner, Fred Weaver, we bring to you our podcast where we highlight some of the best and brightest in the real estate industry, along with a weekly segment called Industry Headlines. We are a proud member of the Industry Syndicate, family of real estate podcasts, and we are so glad that you are listening and tuning in today, and we hope you enjoy our show. All right, guys, we're back uh, on the Kevin and Fred show. And this week I'm joined by Chris Stewart of Place. Chris, how's it going? Going great, Kevin. Thanks for the opportunity, buddy. Good to be with you. Yeah, man. Gl- glad to have you here. Uh, and uh, speaking of Chris, being you being at Place, that's obviously a new place for you. Uh, pardon the terrible pun there. Um, but, you know, when Ben names a company, it lends itself to uh, to terrible puns usually. So I'm excited to uh, to, t- to chat about your new role and and all of your you know previous experience, too, and just kind of dig in a little bit, let everybody get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. So, it. so, Chris, so you are to, let's start. Let's start with today. You're you are the CEO of Place for the agent out there who's listening that maybe doesn't know what place is yet or hasn't heard of it, or maybe they've heard it, but they're not real sure, like, is it a brokerage or not? Can you give us maybe the elevator pitch on what, what exactly is place? Yeah. Thank you. First of all, again, for the opportunity, Kevin, and, and um, yeah, excited to share our story. You know, the first thing to establish is that place is not a brokerage. Uh, In fact, uh, unlike a lot of the other Um, you know, potentially the other opportunities that agents and top producing teams are being presented with. We don't want to make leaving, you know, an agent leaving or a team leaving their current brokerage sort of a requisite to work with us. So what is Place? Place is a platform that is delivered as a service to top producing teams uh, within the industry. So we've established a threshold, a benchmark of 100 closed units and or a million in GCI annually as a a requirement to join the platform. And then what it is, is really a collection of technology, business processes, infrastructure, organizational design, compensation plans, job descriptions, back office, accounting, legal benefits, really, if you will, a suite of services that span the full gamut of what successful teams need to achieve and, and exceed their growth goals on a go forward basis. And so the, I, I think the, um, you know, the, the, what's important to establish here is growth can be defined in a number of different ways, Kevin, right? Okay. Growth could be simply GCI or volume. It could be net agent count. It could be average sales price. Uh, we, we like it always to include net operating income because ultimately <laughs> that, that's what's important, right? So we need to grow that. But really what we're seeing in the marketplace, Kevin, is two things. Number one, that more and more of the industry's production is being concentrated across fewer and fewer people or teams or brokerages, right? You saw the real trends data for last year's production. Teams grew their production by 50%, while individual agents and a lot of the big brands and networks uh, grew by only 10% or thereabouts. So we see that happening, right? This consolidation and concentration of the industry's production across teams. But if you look at the industry, who's, who is singularly focused on helping the top producing teams get better? And who is doing it on the basis of providing a suite of services and tools that span technology and operating systems and back office you know, workflows and infrastructure 
uh, and really no one is except place. And so that's who we are. And that's, that's who we attempt to service as our primary customer. Well, that's awesome. Um, and I've got a, a few things that come to mind that I'd like to dig into here as we go on. Um, let's, let's go backwards a little bit, Chris. Um, so prior to, to coming over to place, you served as, I believe, president and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Um, how, how long were you in, the, in that role? And was that your first role in a, in like in a really big real estate company? Well, uh, in a, you know, in a national or at that point, global franchising uh, role it was. So uh, let me just take you back. I was, I was the CEO of uh, Berkshire Realm Services for three years. Prior to that, I was the chief operating officer of that organization. And prior to that, I was the uh, executive vice president and general manager for Intero Real Estate Services, which... Um, when I joined, we were, you know, pretty much a scrappy upstart coming out of the recession, and uh, I joined as part of the leadership team. And collectively, we built that up to the seventh largest real estate brokerage in the United States, which caught the attention of Berkshire Hathaway. They bought us in 2014 with the idea that our founder and CEO Gino Blafari and I would go over uh, to run uh, the franchise group for Berkshire. And uh, that was in 2015. He is the CEO and, and I wore a number of different hats uh, along the way, obviously, as the COO and CEO, ultimately. So um, I, had, I had never had an opportunity to run a, a global franchise brand, uh, but as uh, you know, a key part of the leadership team for Intero, which again was the seventh largest brokerage in the U.S. at the time, had a lot of opportunity and visibility as to you know what what the heartbeat of brokerage looked like uh, for a company that was operating at a pretty big big scale. If I could, I just I'm always curious what uh, as you know as you probably already picked up on so many. Uh, of us in the real estate industry are just, you know, march the beat of our own drum for sure. What was yeah. it uh, when you first, when you took that first role in real estate at, at Intero? Um, what, first of all, I'm curious, uh, it, what was it like maybe led up to that? And then obviously you've, you've stuck with it for quite a while now. You appear to, it's, you appear to have taken a liking to it. So you must be one of the weird, weird ones too. Welcome. You know, glad to know you're part of the club. Um, what was it that was maybe different about that prior to, uh, the real estate experience and that made you kind of latch onto it and go, Hey, I think I want to build here. Yeah. So I guess I'll, to help answer that question, I'll take even a few more steps back. So I started my career in technology, uh, in enterprise systems integration, uh, in the mid nineties, right out of college, uh, went to work for a systems integrator in New York city in 95 transferred with that company out to Silicon Valley and shortly thereafter went to work at Oracle Corporation as a global account executive. So I have, I had er, very early in my career been exposed to just the startup, you know, mentality. Oracle obviously wasn't a startup, but a lot of my friends left Oracle and went to startups. Some of our customers were startups. Um, and, uh, you know, it just really sort of stoked an entrepreneurial creative kind of fire in me that I didn't really know I had. Uh, but I left Oracle after six years to start a mortgage brokerage company from scratch. That was 2003. And um, uh, we built that very successfully. In fact, our third full year in business, we did $6 billion in origination. Wow. We, we diversified that, that company. We started selling. We started an insurance agency from scratch. We were doing credit management. We started doing uh, sales and marketing for residential solar electric uh, we were based out of California, so the tax incentives and things like that were really lucrative in, in California. So we started that business. So 
you know, in a pretty short period of time, we had a really diversified consumer services business, all hinged on the idea of helping people save money. Um, and that business uh, sold in 2009. And I had really developed a just kind of a love for the real estate side of the business, you know, along the way, we kind of got ourselves uh, hitched to, you know, some purchase money relationships. Uh, so obviously meet a lot of agents and brokerages. That's where I met the folks at Intero, by the way. And uh, so when that company sold and the ambition of the buyers of that mortgage bank wanted to really turn it into a call center, I didn't want to do that. I, you know, and, and I kind of fallen in love with the real estate side. So that's really why I joined the team at Intero. Um, and it really was, it was kind of a, a similar opportunity in terms of where I was at, at Oracle had this big job. It was awesome. You know, I'd been there a long time and really had established myself, but I just loved the idea of taking a few steps back, starting over and building something. We had done that with a mortgage company. I saw the, kind of the same opportunity in Tarot. Hey, take a few steps back, build something and see where it goes. Uh, and that was kind of cool. And so again, I had just fallen in love with the real estate side of the business. And in a lot of ways, Kevin, when Ben and I, you know, began to develop our chemistry and, and, and the, the synergy was clear in terms of what we could do together at place. I kind of saw that same playbook repeat itself. It's like, Hey, got this big, big, great job. Awesome job. Awesome company. Awesome people I'm surrounded by at Berkshire, but here's another cool step, you know, take a few steps back in terms of your career and potential and, and build something and see where it goes. And so um, I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but I think it, you're, you know, hopefully that speaks to just kind of my psychology in terms of my, how I'm wired professionally. Yeah, no, you know, it really does. And as, as you were telling those stories, um, I, I started thinking like, well, okay, no wonder place was so appealing to him. Like we'll talk about um, almost a perfect, you know, perfect storm of, of what, it, what you appear to gravitate towards and like when it, when it comes to businesses. And so um, that's, that's really cool. And so, I, I mean, it, I'm sure it's gotta be, you know, it's got to be it's such a different mentality would appear to me. I, I've never run an organization, say the size of like Berkshire or anything like that, but obviously humongous uh, business, same thing, same thing over at Oracle. Um, but now in startup mode, I, I got to imagine it's, it's just such a different mindset and probably requires different, a lot of different skill sets. What is it about kind of this role now with place that you, that just really jumps out to you is like, Hey, I, I'm, I love, I, I get to get up and do X, Y, and Z every day. And that's the part of that I really love. Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, God, there's so many things, you know, sometimes the challenge in, in these big organizations is, is change, is innovation, is the velocity of change and innovation, um, is the hesitancy for risk, um, is the, uh, you know, just the, the commitment to the status quo, you know, can you, can, are you, are you willing to consider things from a different perspective? And so I, that's what I think I've always been really mostly attracted to in these startup, you know, endeavors that I've done in my career is it's a blank canvas, you know, and, and you can just look at the opportunity so creatively every single day and you're not really encumbered by, the status quo. You don't have all this legacy debt and not, and not debt financially, debt operationally, yeah. debt and organizational design, 
debt in uh, operating protocols, debt in your economic model, right? You don't have all of that that you're carrying around. And the other big thing is I, I just have really developed a skill to recruit great talent, surround myself with great talent and lead from the spirit of service and contribution. I'm just very, very good at it. And, um, and I could just build, build great teams. Um, and so the idea that we've got all this potential in front of us and this just wide open opportunity to design our organization, to fill that organizational design with the absolute best people and then to lead those people uh, to achieve things that they probably never even imagined that they could achieve, that it really fires me up, you know, and I, and I believe we've got an opportunity to build, you know, a business that has a 50 to $100 billion market cap, you know, I just, I, I, I see it. And so, you know, the opportunity for me personally to contribute to that realization is just very exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, there's, you know, I, I think um, the real estate industry has been so interesting over the last I'll call it six or seven years. And so much has changed. There's been, there's been more change in our industry in the last, you know, five to seven years than there probably was the previous 50. It feels like, you know, minus the adoption of like an MLS, um, not, you know, not being on paper uh, in, a, in an office somewhere or key or lock boxes. Uh, it just was such a slow industry to, to, to evolve. And now, now it's starting to evolve so fast that, um, things are changing rapidly. What, when you think about those, I'm curious from your perspective, what are maybe the one or two things that excite you the most about where our industry is going and how things are changing? And what are one or two of the things that maybe kind of um, keep you keep you on your toes and, and contemplating like, hey, we're going to have to solve for, you know, this in the future? I'm curious what those things are. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, I see a lot of parallels to where we are as an industry and where I was in my career in the late 90s, you know, as, as the dot-com boom was kind of taking shape. And some of those companies were our customers at Oracle. And I, like I said, I had many, many friends that went to those companies. And, you know, so I, I live that firsthand very vividly right there in Silicon Valley. And I, I see a lot of parallels here where there's a lot of venture capital you know, chasing where they believe the market is headed. You know, I always use this term that sometimes in this frenzy where capital is so abundant, there's a lot of companies that develop solutions that are in search of problems that don't exist. <laughs> so true. And, um, you know, that was the case in the late 90s. And it's the case now. You know, I look at our industry, you know, in the last 20 years, Kevin, the industry has basically sold the same number of homes every single year. It's 5 million plus or minus 5%. Yep. The only difference was the two years leading to the great recession, the two year correction phase after it, even if you average out those four or five years, the number's 5 million. Despite the fact that we've added 25 million households to the U S economy in the last two decades, and we've delivered less than 20 million single family condo townhome, one to four unit properties. So this unprecedented demand wave that we've seen the last couple of years is really just a function of where the industry hasn't been the last two decades. We're selling the same number of houses. We're spending more and more on consumer awareness, advertising, personal promotion. Like the industry created personal promotion, but none of that resource or expense 
has has increased the size of the market. The market's still the same. It's called yeah. five and a half million houses, 11, 11 million commissionable sides. That's static over two decades. So it's like on the one hand, it has changed a lot, but fundamentally what's really changed, right? The, the cookie jar is still the same, same number of cookies in the cookie jar. Just, I think more people competing for it. So all that said, I'm, I'm really excited that this consolidation might actually mean that we put our customers first because that's what's missing in the industry. See, every other industry yeah. puts their customers' interest ahead of their own. You know, um, it's kind of funny that there was a great study that was done by McKinsey. Um, in fact, I want to find it because I, it's been a long time since I read it, but it was this it was this whole dynamic where they interviewed thousands of companies publicly and privately traded and they asked the executives and boards of directors, you know, what was different now in this transformative phase about where their priorities were versus 10, 15, 20 years ago. And 10, 15, 20 years ago, it used to be that the primary stakeholders were shareholders, investors, and the executives. And now it's shareholders, investors, executives are the least important constituency. The most important is customers. And there's this been this flip-flop about the, 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 the most important audience or, or constituency for these boards of directors now versus what's changed. The internet has created transparency. Yep. That's really all that's happened. And in our industry, while that's true, we haven't put the needs and desires and wants of our customers ahead of our own. That's why the industry still promotes itself as we're number one. How many, how many number ones can you have in an industry? Everyone's number one. Everyone's number one in volume and listing side and blah, blah, blah. But who's number one in servicing the customer? And when I look at servicing the customer, I look at adoption and attachment rates of our core services. And the gold standard still like 30%. So how can we as an industry say that we're putting the needs of our customers ahead of the needs uh, of our, our, ourselves, our own needs, if we know the customer wants a one-stop shop, yet the very best of us is only delivering 30% adoption in critical attachment rates of core services. So that's what we, uh, so I'm excited with the opportunity that it presents. I'm equally concerned with the agendas that some of the industry's competitors have relative to delivering on a delightful customer experience. Um, I'm concerned with the regulatory bureaucracy that might be ahead of us that would prevent, uh, you know, providing great service to our consumers long term. So there's, I think there's like an equal amount of optimism and sort of angst about this singular vision that we need to do better for our customer. Yeah, man, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, you know, I'd certainly, I'm not trying to, I will not throw, you know, any one company or competitor under the bus, but um, I, I'm in Phoenix. So I gosh, so this is you and I recording this in July, um, 2021. So seven years ago, next month will be seven years ago that Open Door closed their first transaction in Phoenix. So, I mean, it is just a part of our world. Like it, you can't, you can't go to lunch. You can't drive down the street. You can't listen to the radio, watch nothing yeah. without seeing open door, offer pad, Zillow, blah, blah, blah. Knock, easy knock, all of the, I'll call them disruptors, right? 
And, you know, everyone's had their mixed feelings about it. And this is not a podcast about that, uh, about, you know, especially when it comes to Open Door and Zillow, with those two being the kind of the biggest disruptors, for lack of a better word. But the one thing that just stood out to me um, above all of this is the fact that the consumers have said clearly they won't, they they deserve better service. They deserve more options and better options. And this isn't about me as the listing agent and my picture everywhere um, and how much my commission is. But as an industry, the fact that the, the doors even open for these other companies tells me that we haven't delivered on exactly what you, what you just said. Like we haven't delivered the one-stop shop in a way that is consumer friendly, that doesn't have a lot of friction. Um, and it means that there's an opportunity for us who are willing to step up to, to, to continue to build. And I think to your point in your opening, kind of one of your opening statements about the disparity in growth, when you look at the production and who it's being done by just continues to get, you know, that, that gap is wider and wider. And I think what we're seeing are, you know, people who continue to figure that customer piece out, consumer continue to use technology to their benefit uh, to provide a better customer experience are the people that are not only going to survive it, but grow it. Uh, and I think those that don't, you know, won't even likely survive is my guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And, th- and that's what needs to happen. Right. I mean, we just, we should not be characterized as an industry by the fact that 60 to 70% of our, our professional colleagues do no business or one deal a year, because that's a disservice to the consumer, you know, and the, the challenge with the consumer is, they don't know what they don't know, right? It's unconscious incompetence. And when you're only doing a transaction once every 10 to 13 years, which is the current you know, run rate, you don't develop the muscle memory as a consumer to really even understand what to value. And so much of the value that the professional real estate agent brings to the table is behind the curtain. And that's a mistake on behalf of the industry too, Yeah. right? Our, our surgeons and our and our key service providers, even accountants and, and attorneys, you know, they, they share the value in the form of what, what they bring to the table and their experience and their ability to, you know, troubleshoot and save time and energy and frustration on the part of their clients. They share that. It's understood amongst their consumer. Ours, not so much because the industry continues to promote itself as rainbows and butterflies, but these real estate transactions aren't rainbows and butterflies. It's not all about pretty houses, right? There's inspection issues and appraisal issues and, uh, you know, mortgage issues and credit issues and collateral issues and things that real sophisticated professionals need to bring to the table. But if we don't do a good job of that as an industry or of articulating that story, well then shame on us. And that's why so many people go to their friends and family and neighbors and coworkers for real estate advice before they call a trusted real estate professional and or entrust their real estate needs to their neighbor or their cousin or the person they met on the soccer field that just got licensed. It's, it's, it's very trivial and it needs to change. And it'll only change by virtue of the competitive iron sharpening that this industry will, will have to go through, right? So in other words, the billions of dollars that are being aimed at disrupting our value will make us stronger. Um, and I'm, I'm convinced of that. However, to the agent or team that's not involved in, in a network or a professional group or a community of, you know, like we have at place, uh, then they're, they're probably going to be left behind uh, because they're not sharpening their sword fast enough. 
Yeah. Gosh, I, I can't echo that enough. Like if you don't have a community of, of other professionals that are, that are helping digging in and helping you grow and, and sharing best practices and things like that to, to, to deliver better service, to have a, an overall kind of better business. Um, it's, I, I, it's going to just continue to get harder and harder and harder for them, for you to survive. Um, you, you, you struck a, you, I had a question that kind of came to me where you're talking there a second ago, if you could, um, kind of think billboard style, like kind of short message, but if you could say to every single agent out there who, whether they're a solo agent or run it, they run a team, maybe they're qualified to be with place or not, but they're, they're, they're doing business and you cared about them. If you could just kind of deliver a message of, Hey, this is what I really need you to, to learn or, or figure out over the coming years so you can survive. Like what, what would that be? Like, what do you wish more of us as real estate professionals knew or kind of at least kind of woke up thinking about every day? Yeah, I think, um, a few things, um, you know, so, when I look at the industry's resource allocation, you know, we're, we're, we're an industry that produces about $80 billion in revenue just from the commissionable brokerage side of the business that there's no lift and mortgage and title and escrow and insurance, right? Just 80, let's call it 80 billion in GCI. By all accounts, when you look at the the public, you know the the publicly published media reports, and you extrapolate based on some assumptions as to where agents are spending approximate sums of their their income in terms of marketing, advertising, personal promotion, we believe that we spend about sixteen to twenty billion dollars as an industry on top of the funnel awareness. So. There is not another consumer facing industry on the planet that spends 20% of its gross revenue in marketing and top of the funnel promotion and advertising. As an example, if you look at Nike, Southwest Airlines, Nordstrom's, Lululemon, Nike spends 9%. And Nike is a prolific, iconic advertiser around the world. Yeah. So, so that in and of itself, Kevin, to me is symptom number one is that we, we don't understand as an industry the difference between customer acquisition and customer loyalty. And if you were to sit down with any, again, consumer-facing industry, I'm talking about property and casualty insurance, State Farm, Allstate, Geico, uh, hospitality and travel, Delta, Southwest, Marriott, Hilton, uh, retail, right, Nordstrom's, whomever. All of those industries, if you were to look at their chief revenue, chief marketing officers, they would all be able to articulate exactly how much organizational resource, people, money, time, they are allocating towards acquiring new potential customers and retaining their existing customers. And as an industry, we are completely inverted. We spend 60 to 80% of our time, effort, money, resource on new customer acquisition at the expense of, at the expense of only spending 20 to 40% of our time, energy, and resource at customer retention. That is critical item number one. And again, another sort of value prop plug for place, how many 
agents come into this business with the idea that they would build some sort of a sustainable business that they could actually see themselves out of personal production and have something that's sustainable that doesn't require them to be the rainmaker forever that they have a a business that is a that is a practice it's a book of business like a like an accountant has right yeah how many fail to ever realize that that reality most most and why is that because we spend too much of our time focused on acquisition as opposed to loyalty and retention so that's the number one thing to me and as real estate professionals begin to shape the way then they look at their businesses the way they shape their teams the way they shape how they look at their their time where they're spending their money their resource how they're developing their skill set how they're organizing their systems then you know the 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 day-to-day -day tasks sort of take care of themselves but if they never adopt that mindset kevin they're on that perpetual treadmill that perpetual hamster wheel of finding their next deal that's going to close in the next 30 60 to 90 days now a requisite set of beliefs and 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 sort of you know ideologies need to then circulate around this idea that they develop great ecosystems so as an agent i need to be sort of that concierge for my customers as it relates to all things real estate and home ownership the fact that angie's list and 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 home advisor and all of these things you know have manifested is a function of the fact that the real estate agent has been purely tactical and transactional for the last 50 years yeah. and not relational so we've got to become more relational and strategic present ourselves in the context of a trusted ecosystem of service providers and when the leak the roof is leaking you want them to call you 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 want them to call you right and you don't want them to go anywhere else and so then that manifests in how we present ourselves in social what what we're setting up in terms of our auto plans and our drips on communication via email what how we're communicating uh in terms of our you know blog posts or social posts like we should be merchandising all of these experiences and our relationship and the trusted relationships that we have to our customers and that deepens that retention and loyalty moat wow yes um that was first of all that was phenomenal uh, I hope everyone goes back and listens to that last couple of minutes more than once. That was, man, that, that was great. I could not agree more with that statement. Um, I think you, you really drive that point home. Let, let's kind of shift into like, how does, you know, how do you see place fitting in to, to help assist, assist in those things happening for, for the agents and, and brokers associated with, with you, with you guys? Yeah, so thank you for that question. You know, so today, Kevin, based on Ben, Kenny, and Chris Suarez, and collectively our team, and and the dozens of decades now of of aggregate experience, you know, Ben on Ben's part alone, you know, more than two decades of this, there's just an enormous collection of, you know, practice and and repetitiveness and results that get born that that collectively right that they that play out into our productivity system right so place teams and their team members they immediately plug into every single thing that we use from a daily to a weekly to a monthly cadence designed to get their agents into production and sustain that production again 
every everything that we do is programmed to help people earn more, keep more, sustain more productivity. Now, as we move along here, we will begin to bolt on all of, and, and to me, the consumer experience outside of the core real estate transaction is threefold. What I call core service, which is anything that is relevant to every real estate transaction, okay. specialty service, which is anything that's specific and relevant to some, but not all transactions. And then household services, which is connecting the utilities, enabling the direct TV, you know, enabling the moving service, right? So core service, specialty service, and household service. Core services, mortgage, settlement, insurance, home warranty. So we will continue to expand our productivity platform by enabling all of the core specialty household services that we either buy or strategically partner with and enable that in two ways, Kevin. One, from the perspective of technology. So how does it work within our tech stack? Beautiful thing about places, we own our tech stack in Brivity and we'll continue to make strategic acquisitions that make that more and more a part of our consumer and agent experience and blend those two experiences to the extent that we need. As a perfect example, mortgage, right? Mortgage is critical that the loan officer, the agent and the client are engaged in a very transparent communication stream, right? Yeah. Uh, think about household services. The moment we close, imagine that app enabling a whole new set of services that are available to that consumer with very few clicks. So, so in other words, look at the portfolio of services, enable it through tech, but then also enable it through productivity in terms of how we're programming the agents and the teams on our platform to interact with their customers. So as an example right now, we have productivity days, we have dialer days, we have power up sessions every morning and, and every week, right? So uh, different different types of formats, right? But, but our platform agents are able to just plug into what we're developing. So as we have a really scalable mortgage product, now all we have to do is just script, uh, just tweak the script. Yeah. Right. As we're introducing home warranty, it's just, so we don't have to really think about this elaborate new, you know, organizational structure. We already have the connective tissue between what we are at place and what we're encouraging our agents and teams to say to their customers. It's just a simple, a simple issue of expanding kind of that pipeline of what they're saying and when they're saying it as we pull more and more service, you know, onto the platform. That's awesome. Um, well, so as we, so as we start to wind down here, Chris, let me, let me ask you, um, first of all, like, I think that was a, that was a great explanation. Um, and along with a couple of great lessons in there, what, what haven't I asked you whether about you and or place that, um, I should have, because we might, we might be missing part of the story if I, if, I, if I don't ask that question. Like, is there, is there something that uh, for the, whether that's for someone who is trying to figure out where they're going in the business or, you know, is place the right move for them or a right consideration for them? Like what, what's something I should have asked you or a topic we should be talking about? Well, I'll just, uh, I think we've covered a lot of great, great ground here. Um, I would, I would like to just kind of make a couple of closing comments on places value prop is that we believe that part of the limitation in the current structure is that the top producing agents don't really participate in all of the economic reality of their production. Yep. And, 
primarily it's because top producers are commanding more and more of the commission dollar. The brokers are getting less and less of the retained split, which means they're left to monetize core and specialty services as an offset. Because they're not participating in core and specialty services, then the top producing teams are doing their own deals. But their own deals don't scale the same way that they could if they were a part of a larger platform. So we intend to provide as much of the economic lift that those teams production creates as possible. And of course you got to do that legally and compliant. Of course, we'll do all of that. But that is absolutely a key part of our, our value objective with our teams and their team members. And that collectively moving this model into a direction where we have an IPO or some significant um, you know, liquidity event in the future that the teams and team agents also participate in. So I think that's the other big takeaway, Kevin, is to really make sure people understand that place is an opportunity where we're looking at wealth creation in as many different swim lanes as we can. We, ultimately, that's what we want. We want our members, our real estate professionals to have as many different wealth levers as we can help them create inclusive of the economics involved in, in specialty and core and household services and whatever kind of a you know company equity program that we can create. And we don't, here's the exciting thing. We don't really have to boil, boil the ocean to achieve that, right? If we have, right now we're on pace to have 70 teams on platform in, you know, within the next several weeks. So we've got like 56 active We've got another, you know, 10-ish that are coming, another 10 or 15 behind that that are, you know, kind of in the pipeline, right? Look, when we're at 250 on an aggregated basis, Kevin, we'd be the fifth largest real estate brokerage platform in the United States with 250 teams. So it speaks to this concentration of when you, when you build, like we were talking about a community in our model, our community doesn't have to be tens of thousands of teams around the industry, right? We, a real nimble force of a hundreds, right, produces a massive, massive lift. And, um, and we believe that we can create a lot of wealth for the people on this platform as a result of that concentration. I, I love that. That's a, to me, that's a big deal. That's something that's, in my opinion, missing from the industry. I mean, it's not missing completely. It's just not um, as um widely widely accepted <clears throat> I, always, I always laugh like you mentioned kind of like i think you mentioned real trends earlier and when you look at the awards that we get as realtors um it's all for it, it's all for vanity like everything is everything's vanity um it's all about you know gci volume units whatever um not really about bottom line and and, and building wealth and for some reason um kind of the old school mentality in our industry is that um, I, I, I feel like, hey, like the awards are over there, like, let's distract the kids. Like, let's let them think that, you know, it's like, you can either star in a movie or you could produce the movie. One of them is nice because you're the because you're the person out front. And then one of them pays a lot more. And it's just not being the, not being the star. And on stage is actually not the one that pays more. It just it definitely feeds the ego. And yeah. so I, I love that that's a big part of what you guys are doing, because I think that's important. Um, gosh, I think you mentioned like something like $80 billion and effectively GCI in our industry every, every year. Like that's a lot of money to go around. 
And just like on the teams and the GCI is concentrated with uh, agents, it's also in those companies concentrated with whoever's at the top, the founder, the, you know, the franchise owner, et cetera, even, you know, down to like a local independent brokerage. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's just not in line and congruent with helping people build wealth who contributed to building something big. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? Is that, man, my gosh, if we're going to go through all this pain, because this is a tough business. Yeah. It's got to be about, like we talked about earlier, the bottom line at, at, at minimum and at maximum, complete wealth creation, financial independence, and the ability to have something sustainable that the, that the founder can step away from whenever they desire and not lose it all. Yeah. But, but the reality is very little of that realization is happening in our industry. I know so many people that are doing more GCI now than they've ever done and earning less income. Yeah. It's, you know, and uh, the average income for realtors went down last year, despite that it was the best year in real estate sales that we've seen since pre-recession. It's just, the model is just completely backwards. And so I love that you use the word ego there because that's who we're looking for really are folks that are just okay being, you know, a part of something bigger than themselves and just recognizing that, you know, somebody's paid the, I call it the dumb tax. Yeah. No matter what it is in life that we're trying to achieve, somebody's paid the dumb tax, right? And uh, just let's check our egos at the door and listen to those people and buy in and plug in. And it's not, that's, that path is not for everyone, but I'm, I'm convinced that it's the path for, you know, I, I think our, our, you know, total platform, Kevin, at some point is, you know, 10,000, five to 10,000 top producing teams, you know, and, and their people. And we just really empower them as a micro enterprise within the industry, share the economics, have this common objective of wealth creation and giving back to our communities. And we're going to, we're going to create a lot of, of really happy people in that journey. That's awesome. Uh, you just struck a, a thought. I've got a buddy who um, he always says he, he runs a, a great real estate business and he always says, I'd so much rather have my name on a check than in lights. I just, I prefer seeing my name on, on checks, not, not in lights. And, uh, and I'm like, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Uh, well, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to do this today. Before we officially say goodbye, last question is for anybody listening who maybe hadn't heard a place before or, or now that they've listened to it and they go, gosh, maybe I should check in more of that. I, I didn't really quite understand what it was. How does somebody who is um, interested in kind of learning more about place and what it might be like to partner with you guys, how, what, where do they go? What do they do? Yeah, thank you. Just simply go to place.com. Uh, we've got some great information there. We're, we're deliberately vague about some of the details because we want to talk to you. Uh, but we've got a great growth team led by Katie Benson, uh, who is just phenomenal. She's amazing. And yeah, she's just uh, so humble and so accomplished. And uh, she and, and, and some other members of our team uh, would be happy to reach out to you. But just, yeah, place.com, submit an inquiry, and we'd love to talk to you and share more. And, you know, the biggest thing is we're looking for that synergy, Kevin. You know, I've always used in my career you know, a term two plus two equals eight. And that's really it, right? It's, it's not for everyone, but, you know, for those teams that, uh, or for those folks that are aspiring to grow, again, growth can be defined in a number of different ways, but they're, they're, what we're seeing is that there are these natural ceilings that create people from exceeding the goals that they have 
whatever they are, again, growth can be defined a number of different ways, and or you might be experiencing growth, but doing so in a way that you're also expanding your profits, so your net operating income is going down. Our average team, Kevin, is operating at nearly a 30% net operating income, net income, 30%. And you know, you've got teams that are doing, you know, three, four plus million dollars in GCI a year. I mean, you talk about 30% on three or $4 million That's in big. growth income, you're talking about some real, we're moving some weight, right? And so now with that kind of leverage, you know, we're, we're buying buildings together with our partners, commercial real estate, you know, other kinds of real estate. And, and that's, that's our purpose, right? That's our purpose is to fuel the meaningful growth of the people that, that we're affiliated with. So we'd love to hear from you. Just go to place.com and submit an inquiry. Awesome. Well, Chris Stewart, I appreciate you taking the time out today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't, um, do, do, do me a favor and share this episode with somebody, with some of your friends that are in real estate, because I think uh, regardless of place, what Chris talked about over the last, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, however long it's been, uh, there was some just some real key points that I think um, as as real estate professionals, if we all just really reflected on and then acted on, we'd be all we'd all be in a better place. So, Chris, thank you for taking the time out today to do that. And uh, thanks for being a guest on the show. Thanks, Kevin, for the opportunity, buddy. Appreciate you. Absolutely. All right, guys, we will talk to you next week. Have a good one. Today's episode is brought to you by Kevin and Fred's community at EXP Realty. Learn why over 1,000 real estate agents joined eXp Realty last week. Join us for an informational webinar this Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Register at intro to eXprealty.com.